0: You're listening to the Game Makers Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to listen to how Ubisoft games are made. I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard. Assassin's Creed is one of Ubisoft's most beloved franchises. It's an action-adventure RPG series, and each game is set in a different historical period, like the Crusades, Renaissance Italy, and Ancient Greece. The latest game in the series just came out. It's called Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and it's set in the Viking era. You play as Eivor as they lead their fellow Vikings from Norway to 9th century England. The original soundtrack for Assassin's Creed Valhalla was written by three extraordinary composers, Jesper Kidd, Sarah Schachner, and Einar Selvik. They composed nearly six hours of music for the game, and all three collaborated on the main theme. We wanted to understand a little bit more about their process, so we have a series of episodes in which each composer will be discussing one track in particular that they wrote for the game. In this episode, we're diving into the track Asgard Hall of Aesir, composed by Sarah Shackner and featuring the voice of Einar Selvik. Sarah Schachner is an American composer, producer, and multi-instrumentalist. Some of her recent video game credits include Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Anthem, and a personal favorite of mine, Assassin's Creed Origins. For the track Asgard, Hall of Aesir, Sarah collaborated with British musician John Kenny, who plays a modern reconstruction of an ancient Celtic instrument, the Carnix. John Kenny is a professional trombonist and music professor. He reached me from his home in Scotland, while Sarah talked to us from Los Angeles to discuss their collaboration on this track. Tell me, John, how you got involved in this project. So, or, or Sarah, you can jump in, obviously, but so does this come from you, Sarah? Did you know about John's work and you wanted to um, get the Carnic the sound in the track and get him involved, or how did this come about?
2: Yeah, so... Um... Actually, to fully explain, I kind of have to go all the way back to when I was a young kid because I, (laughs) John is probably like, what the hell? Um, When I was really young, my sister and I were super obsessed with Vikings and we were begging our parents for a Viking ship and they were like, what are you talking about? That's not a thing you can have. Like we wanted a full size Viking ship to play on instead of a swing set. And it just so happened um, that the Leif Erikson Society was selling a boat that had gotten into an accident being transported and they couldn't use it anymore. So they were gonna either going to sell it or burn it in the old Viking tradition out at sea. And, you know, they were asking a very large sum of money that our family couldn't afford. But my dad wheeled and dealed them down and we ended up getting it. So we had this full size replica in our yard. For years and years and like, you know, the kids, the whole neighborhood would come over with swords and shields and we'd be pillaging and plundering every summer and we'd have sleepovers on it. And it was the like one of the best things.
0: Where was this? Where did you grow
1: up?
2: Oh, in um a small town in Pennsylvania.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah. So it was pretty unusual to have. Um, and the the guy that sold us the boat actually, you know, friends with him on Facebook and he's kept in touch with our family a bit over the years. And he sent me a YouTube link randomly to a guy playing the carnix. He just thought I would like the sound of it. And I would be, beca- I was immediately obsessed and I went on a YouTube spiral of researching it. And I found John it, that video wasn't of John, but then I found John cause he's really one of the only people in the world who plays this instrument. So I found him, I contacted him and we connected over email and just um, you know I wanted to see if he was even open to doing a session and so that's how we connected and that's how I found out about him.
0: If we're going to go back to the origin stories, John, can you say a little bit about how you got into um, playing and, and owning a Carnix and and but how did you get into into that instrument?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's extraordinary the way that things find you rather than you finding things. As a trombone player, I'd always been very interested in trying to expand the repertoire for my own instrument. And that meant looking, the, the trombone's a very old instrument in Western terms. But in order to expand its repertoire, I found myself as a professional performer looking backwards into early music and ancient music and forward into contemporary music at the avant-garde and, and also any culture I, I, with, I, into which I could enter playing that instrument. And I suppose I'd been doing that for quite a few years and, and got some sort of a reputation for being a bit of a strange guy with a trombone, walking into other people's environments. And, uh, and and one day, this remarkable man, John Purser, who is quite simply Scotland's greatest living musicologist, historian, playwright, poet, um, radio broadcaster, and also lives on the island of Skye in the Hebrides and raises Highland cattle. He's a remarkable man. He turned up on my doorstep and and basically said you don't know me, but I know you. Would you be interested in playing a Carnix? And I said, what is that? And he opened a briefcase, forced his way into my house, sat down and started showing me pictures of this extraordinary skull in bronze, um, which was lying unseen in the vaults of the National Museum of Scotland. And I was hooked immediately because um, it was fascinating. It was extraordinary. And it turned out that this object I was looking at was the best-preserved part of an instrument that the ancient world called a decarnix found anywhere in the world. And it was found in a peat bog in Scotland. And he was basically asking me if I wanted to be the musical performing consultant to join a team of scientists working on it. And I took about a quarter of a second to say yes. You know, this was fascinating. So this beautiful thing which is a reconstructed uh, instrument from between 2000 and 2600 years ago, Um, my job was literally to bring it to life. Once all of the research was done on reconstructing it And then wonderful things happen Like Sarah getting in touch with me You know, this, this happens over and over again It's just wonderful The variety of situations In which this instrument has been used already And I have to say This project is is absolutely one of the most exciting We're going to get to how, how it's used In the soundtrack for Valhalla in a minute
0: But um, for those listening Can you describe what exactly a Carnix looks like? You have one
1: looming uh, Or hidden behind <laughs> your head at the moment So I do Unfortunately, we're not using the video for this. I set it up so I could lean to the side and show the carnage, which is now actually, if you were watching it, you see it was, it's looking into my uh, ear, into my ear. But uh, this thing actually, for start, it has a head, which is very unusual for a musical instrument. It's the head of a wild boar in hammered bronze. So that, that bronze is hammered as thin as a sheet of typing paper. Uh, it's incredibly resonant. It's literally a skull in bronze with a hinged jaw and a tongue in the throat, a soft palate like our soft palate or the soft palate of a pig or a horse or a donkey, and a, and a brain cavity. So the skull's hollow like a real mammalian skull, and it resonates like a real mammalian skull, like we do when we sing, actually, or speak or, or, or shout. Um, And then it has a set of long tubes which descend downwards. Most unusually, it's held vertically, not horizontally. So when I and it are together in the correct playing position, we are 12 feet high, which makes it very, very big. That's why it's on a stand behind me. I can't actually lift it into playing position in my house I've got to be either outside or in a church or a cave or a concert hall or something like that. So it's, um, I and mean, I think Sarah would agree, it's its a very extraordinary thing to look at and, and very beautiful. And um, this instrument was made by John Creed, who's a, an artist and sculptor and probably one of Britain's leading artists in precious metals. John was the... The craftsman in that team 28 years ago, it's 28 years ago since we first reconstructed this thing now, and uh, John was the guy working with myself, with the archaeologists, with the acousticians, to actually try to reconstruct the instrument using similar techniques and similar materials to those we know were used 2,000 years ago. Because it's a bronze alloy that doesn't exist today with constituent parts that we don't see in anything else. We had to reconstruct the alloy. And he then hand hammered it for over 400 hours into the shape that you're looking at behind me. So it's, it's a really extraordinary work of science and craft. And for you, Sarah, what was so compelling
0: about the sound of the Carnix? Why, why did you want it to be part of this track and, and of the soundtrack for the game?
2: What I initially responded to about it was that it's an untempered instrument, so it's not like a modern-day brass instrument where you press down and the notes are all even and it sounds exactly like a scale. It just goes off of its natural harmonic series. And um, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has a very strange harmonic series. I think it's like a major third a flat seven and then a major seven on the bottom. Is that right, Tom? Yes, that's
1: right. It's, a, it's partly because it's a truncated cone. That is, it's conical, but it's in steps. The tubes are cylindrical until it gets to the top. So this thing is made to look like an animal and the top of it is conical, but the lower parts are a cone in a set of ladder steps going up. And that's partly because it needs to be strong enough to withstand the weight of the head at the top. And that gives it this strange harmonic series that Sarah mentioned. And it also means that its sound is not even. It means that it's full of what we call wolf tones, really strange, rich, unusual sounds that we try to even out of modern instruments because we want them to be smooth. We want them to be even. But quite clearly, the people who made this instrument, they didn't want that. And so, that's a, a feature of it. I'm not going to play Happy Birthday
2: on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely the best part of it because it, it sounds wild, it sounds scary, but also beautiful at the same time. And I feel like um, I'm always trying to combine contrasting and conflicting emotions together and this instrument really captures that. And I especially... Uh, wanted to use it for the Asgard dream world parts of this game because this is the mythological realm, you know, it's not based in reality and and the fact that this instrument is way, way older than even the era that we're in in this game I thought it would be cool to kind of have echoes from the past coming through in the Asgard realm since the mythology is, is so old. It's such a haunting, interesting and unique sound and I, I was obsessed with it from the first time I heard it. And so many textures, and, and the way we recorded it, which was really cool, is I like to do very open-ended sessions that are kind of for capturing textures and gestures. Um, so I'm not writing specific notes for John to play because the, the notes are already limited of what you can play on the instrument, but um, kind of thinking of it like capturing colors that I can then paint with later.
1: Um, it's very interesting because Sarah and I talked about this a lot, and I, I love what she's done with it, and the textures are absolutely great. Uh, and it's very interesting this open, this first track. Of course, the comics is, is through quite a lot of the music, but this first track in particular, given the fact that it's relating to Asgard and this dream world, we all know from reading Marvel comics. If we didn't, if we're not scholars of North mythology, I am in <laughs> but. Um, (laughs) But most people interface with this world through popular culture. And we're all aware of the rainbow bridge. Now there's a beautiful, real connection here because what Sarah's talking about, that harmonic series, the harmonic series is a rainbow of sound. It's literally sound divided into wavelengths, the same way that we see color in visual light. We hear that in, in audio. We hear that in, in the audio spectrum. We use the same word, the spectrum. And what Sarah's doing is sweeping across this magic bridge of harmonic color. So it, it's, um, it's a very poetic thing, this. It, it, she's literally working with something that is a spectral instrument in a set of images that are spectral. And the Norse were really, really aware of this. That's why they have a rainbow bridge. It's the bridge that appears so strongly, especially in northern light, when you have low slanting light. They imagine being able to cross across this into another world, and then it would just disappear. Well, it's that liminal space between the the
0: real and the, the fantasy or the, the, the land of the gods, right?
2: Yeah, and this part of the game is the one place I could really go and give it extra drama and fantasy, whereas you know there's always that sci-fi aspect of assassin's creed but i feel like i could push that even further for asgard and and like john was just saying i was literally looking at the rainbow bridge as i was writing this piece so that's yeah it's i mean i have mod i have synth modules that scan through the the harmonic spectrum and it's so cool to have an instrument that literally does that naturally and i think both john and i we really connected because we both are a bit obsessed with Merging ancient history, ancient instruments and sounds And the way people did things and built instruments And combining it with modern technology and, um, and processes Because and, um, in this track, this is an example of a track Where you, you do hear the natural tone of the carnix. So the, the gestures that John is playing It was playing a major chord which is more of a happy sound. And I pitched every single major third down to a minor third, and that gives it more of that melancholy, um, sad tone to it. But you still get the natural tone of the Carnex. And then there are other tracks where I completely destroyed his performances and even put some of them through a vocoder, which is—it's um, a technology that resynthesizes another sound. And you know, most people think of it as like Daft Punk robot voices and stuff. But I put John's Carnix through the vocoder, and then I was able to play it on my MIDI keyboard like a synth. So I was able to play things that he wouldn't have been able to play on it, but it still has the essence and the texture of the Karnix.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the the actual recording session or sessions that you that you did for the for the soundtrack? So, Sarah, you mentioned that you didn't you hadn't like written out notes or, or anything like that. You kind of so what kind of direction? Might, I guess first of all, did you did you provide for John or or briefs, and then how did you actually go about uh, recording
2: that? Yeah, I, I basically just wanted to capture what the instrument does, and I and you know John knows that better than anyone. So I don't. Um, you know, there were certain techniques we tried, like we did some layering techniques of building to a crescendos and different exploring all the different articulations you can do with the instrument. But I, I wanted to keep it really loose because I just wanted to have this palette of sounds and textures that I could then reinterpret, reinvent and do anything I want with. And, yeah, we we had scheduled to do this right as the pandemic was starting. So there was a moment there where we were like, oh, God, I don't think we're going to be able to do this because a lot, you know, he's in um, Scotland. I'm in L.A. and it was craziness going on. We didn't know if he was going to be able to be in a building with someone. And uh, But we managed to do it at the very last minute with one engineer on his end. He was alone in the room. They were social distanced. And I was on Zoom for eight hours. I think, John, did we do eight hours? It may have been more than eight hours. What? It was... a. We, it was 11. 11? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. You were, like... You were dying by the end. I, it, was, it was a bit... <laughs> it, intense,
1: it was extraordinary.
2: We had to get it done in one go. It
1: was a, a little victory because, yeah, um, obviously, the, pan, the the pandemic is global and it was affecting us all. We... At that stage, we didn't know how bad or how long, how deep it was going to get. Now we... Looking back with hindsight, if we had not done that session that day, we could not have done it for another four and a half months. We would have missed the whole boat. Um, And we were already just on the cusp of legality in both countries, both in the USA and in Britain. But we managed to pull in. Sarah had a fantastic uh, recording engineer on her side. I had a fantastic recording engineer on my side. We were distanced. All four of us were in contact using Zoom, and then we were using ultra-fast technology to beam sound down. Sarah had sent me uh, a lot of track ideas that I was able to respond to, and I basically filled the studio, not just with one Carnix, but um, I had two of the Carnix that are behind me, the Desford Carnix, I had the second reproduction and the third reconstruction, and they are slightly different from each other. Uh, That gave Sarah the chance to choose between tone qualities, and they are quite, actually, substantially different. I also had an instrument called the Tantignac carlix, which I was involved in reconstructing. That was discovered in southern France. It was almost complete. It looks quite different. It's the same family, but if you like, it's about as different as a guitar and a lute, let's Mm. say. You know, you can pick it up and pluck it if you're a guitar player or a lute player, but you don't necessarily know how to play it. So they're they're both quite distinct beasts. I had the the Loch horn, which is slightly older again. That was discovered in a peat bog in Ireland. I had a conch shell. I had a a 12-foot alp horn as well. So I think I had about 12 instruments in the studio, (laughs) And so every time, basically Sarah would talk me through an idea, an emotional idea she wanted to achieve and then maybe play some elements of a track. And I would respond to that, then we'd talk about it. We were kind of really doing our own workshop. If we'd been able to get together for a weekend or a week or something, we would have done exactly what we were doing. As two musicians, we would have sat around having fun talking about it, oh my God, maybe, wow, does that work? No, that doesn't work. No, that's terrible. Hey, that worked, you know. (laughs) And so we, but we had this incredibly compressed time, just one very long day. And that was the only way we could do it. I think I got to bed at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, It was already by that time illegal to be moving about, but I managed to drive through the, uh, the southern Scottish uplands Uh, in total pitch darkness, arrive at my house, unload all the instruments, and go inside. And then for the next six months, we weren't allowed to go out and move about like that. Right when lockdown started.
2: Yeah, it was literally the day before it was official. And I'm so thankful for that. And so thankful for technology working and my Wi-Fi not (laughs) crapping out because it's been very sketchy lately. Um, I mean, it just, it added the texture of the carnics and all those other instruments he played adds so much color and and you know it just inspires me to hear what someone else is doing and then playing like he said playing off of each other and and coming up with ideas and talking about techniques and um that, that's the most fun for me
1: it was a lot of fun a lot of fun <laughs>
0: talking specifically about Asgard and, and how you managed to use the sound of the Karnix in, in that track. I'm just wondering how you kind of used it there because there's a lot of layering and it's almost like the voice that you're using are in the background and it's the Karnix that you're putting in the foreground some, sometimes, which is maybe a little bit unusual or not what you would expect. So yeah, I'm just wondering what the process was there and, and how you layered in the the instruments and the voices in that track.
2: Yeah, the Karnix was definitely the focus of that track and that's what I started with. I knew... Um, because this was a big track for Asgard and it ended up becoming a theme for Asgard more than just exploration music. And um, I knew I wanted the Karnix to be featured. So I started out, I just grabbed a bunch of John's raw performances. I spread them out in my session and I went through and kind of chopped them up and re-pieced them together to create a larger gesture that I liked. And then um, then I put in that guitar underneath to provide the harmonic. Well, after I pitched all of his major thirds to minor thirds, then, <laughs> then I put. Hopefully, John doesn't mind. Um, then I put the guitar underneath, which it's the only time a guitar appears in the score because that's not an instrument that occurs in the Viking era. And but you know we're in Asgard, we're in dream world. This is fantasy.
0: And what did the guitar provide you? Like, why did you reach for the guitar for that track specifically?
2: Uh, Well, initially I was thinking, oh, it should be a lyre or something plucked that's more in line with the era, but it just sounded um, more thin. The guitar has a lot more body and emotion to it. And, you know, I was playing it myself, and so you can get more expression out of it than something that's plucked and very kind of just a little more sterile, I guess. Mm. So the guitar went in next, and I created the... Uh, the chord progression and the harmony, which really drives the track. And then I just started layering other stuff. And I actually had the track almost finished before I even got vocals in there. Because then oh. it was kind of aligning with when we had done the main theme, all of us together. And I I loved Anar's voice and, and the passion that he brings to his performances. And so I asked him if he... or Actually... I'm backtracking now. I did ask him to collaborate on other stuff, but this this was, I had grabbed stems, because he had sent me, I was producing and arranging the main theme, and he had sent me an alt version of the main theme where he had taken a very old, uh, meaningful Norse poem and done a lyrical version, and it didn't work in our version of the main theme, but I ended up making another track out of it. But I took some of those stems of his lyrics and brought them into Asgard. And I started moving them around and um, layering them up and overlapping them in ways that they weren't originally. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reverb and effects. So um, it's, in, it's cool how that ended up being a later element, but it's one of my favorite elements of the track, the Carnics and Einar, <laughs> the best elements, and um, <laughs> and how they all came together. And and when I sent it to Einar, he had said that it kind of sounded like his vocals were like coming through from a different realm and that was exactly what i was hoping to convey of just these voices from the past
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, they're kind of muff- exactly, they're kind of muffled like they're coming out of the fog or something.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And some of the footage I was looking at like the um, you're roaming in these foggy caves and exploring and then, you know, there's parts of it that have the rainbow bridge, so um, I just felt like it was a fitting vibe for <laughs> for that for that part of the game.
1: Yeah, evocative is the word. It is evocative.
2: I think when I had written that song, Coincided with when Ennio Morricone died.
1: Oh gosh! And he's one of my biggest
2: influences and heroes. So I think I was I was thinking a lot about his music at that time, and um, I think I was maybe trying to infuse a little bit of his aura into it as well, with like the guitar and the
1: like. Oh yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have detected Ennio Morricone in it, but I'm, I'm delighted to know that you were inspired by him. Me too. I, what an incredible writer he was. Incredible. Yeah, a genius. Absolutely. But, I mean,
0: now I, I didn't detect it either, but now that you say it, yeah, with the guitar and some of that kind of, like, he had this kind of thing of the repetitions, like bu- building up through repetition.
2: Repetitions of, like, arpeggios and then, I mean, the, like the good, bad, and the ugly with, like, the horn, the wild-sounding horns and kind of, cattle calls of um so i think it's like an indirect an indirect Reference. Perhaps. Man
0: with the harmonica becomes man with the carnix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And how how do you feel, John, um, for for this track and for the for the for the other songs? Kind of listening to the carnix because obviously Sarah has played a lot around with the sounds as well. And and she, she said like adapting, um, putting it into a minor tone, but also um, doing different effects on it. How how does it how does that work for you? Or how do how do you react when you hear? the Carnix kind of transformed in that way.
1: Oh, hugely, hugely exciting. I mean, I love it because I, uh, you know, the Carnix is a sound transformer anyway. I do an enormous amount of bending and transforming. I add my voice into it. As Sarah knows, I'm often singing and playing or speaking and playing at the same time and using it as a kind of a, a a sound transformation tube anyway. And I also work a lot with electronics myself and using sound transformation. So, um, you know, I'm very, I'm very open to that sort of treatment. But the point is that um, it's always a joy to suddenly open up a track and hear somebody else's con- concept. It's a gift. It's wonderful. I, I just love it. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I've got to take a, uh, I've got to take a six-hour drive in a couple of days, and it's going to be uh, on my headphones in that car. I'm going to be looking for a rainbow bridge. <laughs>
0: You're going to be driving driving down the Rainbow Bridge
1: with uh, Samba music as yeah. your soundtrack. And, and if it, and, and if anybody messes with me, there's going to be a very large hammer coming out of the window. Thor's hammer. <laughs> a, a Boris head. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: Hall of Aesir is part of the Assassin's Creed Valhalla original game soundtrack published by Ubisoft Music in collaboration with Lakeshore Records. Go check it out, the entire soundtrack is beautiful. I'm Charles Adam Foster-Simard. This episode was edited by Manu Bachet. Special thanks to Simon Landry and Anne Langourieux and to Assassin's Creed Valhalla's audio director Aldo Sampeo. If you like what you just heard, remember to subscribe to Game Makers and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.